Well, good morning. Oh, you know what I'm going to say, right? Right? Come on. Let's, let's, let's show it like you mean it. Good morning. Man, we're glad you guys are here this morning, and I'm glad to be here this morning. Traveled from the Oviedo campus and uh, couldn't wait to get here. Couldn't wait to see our family here at East Campus. And so I'm thrilled. I get a lot of questions. When Oviedo, how's it going? And I said, man, the people are great. You ought to check it out, is what I tell them. So, so I'm glad to be here this morning. Hey, we're going to continue in our series, Defining Moments. And I want us to make sure as we move forward <clears throat> that we are on the same page when it comes to series. Because I've had several conversations with people about this series and about some things we've talked about. Because I think we forget sometimes that we know life is filled with moments. We all know that. But many of us look at moments of life as if those moments define us. Now, hear me this morning. Cancer doesn't define you. A divorce doesn't define you. A rebellious child does not define you. Loss of a job does not define you. How we respond to those moments, that's what defines and shapes the trajectory of our lives. Are you with me on that same end? I'm telling you, that's a big deal for us today to know that what, how we respond, whether we respond with a lot of faith or we respond with a lack of faith, how we respond is truly what shapes and defines the trajectory of our lives. And we need to know that. Now, over the last several weeks, we've seen a lot of amazing moments. We saw the moment with Peter when Jesus was walking. He said, hey, I want to be with you. And, Peter, and Jesus like, hey, come on. And so Peter gets out. I mean, that moment was huge for him. And I know what some of you are thinking, yeah, but... He took his eyes off Jesus and he fell like two verses later. I know. So that moment defined him as well too. One moment, great faith. Another moment, lack of faith. And do you think that shaped Peter's life? Yeah, just read it, right? In moments, and we're going to get to one of those in a moment. And so this is a big moment for Peter. We also talked about a moment for the crowd. The crowd who had come to Jesus and they, they, the religious leaders showed up. And Jesus began to challenge the religious leaders by saying this. That, you know, you think that we have to be uh, ceremonial clean, keeping man-made traditions to be pure before God. And I would say you're wrong. The truth is, it's the condition of our heart that makes us pure before God. And the crowd was left with a moment. Who are you going to go with? Are you going to try to keep all these man-made traditions and somehow earn favor with God in your mind? Are you going to listen to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and go, no, no, it's not about that. What it's about is me making sure my heart is right with God. And then last week we had a moment. One of my favorite moments is the moment of the Canaanite woman. This woman who had a moment. And the moment was she had an oppressed demon child. I mean, they were oppressed by a demon. And in that moment, what did she do? Well, the Bible tells us she's a Canaanite woman. Remember that? She's a Canaanite, which means she was a pagan. And she turned from idolatry and she turned to who? Jesus. That's right. She, and let's, let's all try that. She turned to who? Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. That's right. Jesus. So she turned from idolatry and she turned to the only one that could do it. So she had a moment. Daughter was demon oppressed and she responded in faith. In fact, Jesus at the end of the passage says, your woman, your faith is great. He complimented her twice. He complimented non-Jewish people for the magnitude of their faith. And then in Matthew 16, a passage we talked about at Easter, there's a big moment there. There's a moment where Jesus kind of pauses with the disciples and he says, all right, guys, who does the world say that I am? So they start answering and then he kind of pinpoints a question and he looks at them and he asks them this question, but who do you 
say that I am. Listen, that's a moment, right? If you were to stand before the physical Lord Jesus right now, and he would put his finger in our face and go, but who do you say that I am? That's a moment, right? We either respond with great faith or we respond with a lack of faith. And of course, we know Peter, right? Peter, out of all the disciples, first one to jump up, and what does he say? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And I'm sure the other 11 going, yeah, that's right. That's what he said, right? And a moment where this great faith takes place in the life of Peter. But I want to submit this to you today. We've seen a lot of great moments. Moments when people responded would shape and define the trajectory of their lives. But today is a moment that I feel like may be one of the most powerful moments outside the cross and resurrection in the Gospels. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Matthew 16, <clears throat> verses 24 through 28. And I know you just sit down, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Here we go. <clears throat> if you're good this morning, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Say, I'm ready too. Here we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his very soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, when you look at this passage here, I love this because I feel like this passage is the sum total of everything we've experienced in Matthew's gospel. You've got these disciples there whom he addresses, but we also know there's a crowd there because wherever Jesus went, guess what also went? A crowd everywhere. Even when Jesus tried to withdraw, the crowd showed up, so he fed 5,000 people. I mean, that's just the MO of the people. They always followed him. And so I feel like this moment is a moment of the sum total of everything we've seen. So these people there, these disciples and this, this crowd that's probably there, they've heard the great teachings of Jesus. Some of them may even go back as far as the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard them. Many of them have experienced the great miracles of Jesus. And many of them had experienced people respond with great faith. And they'd also experienced people respond with a lack of faith. But see, this moment isn't about everybody else. This moment was about them. This moment was about their response. And I just want to submit this to you today, that this moment was the biggest moment in their life, and I believe it's going to be one of the biggest moments in our life today. Here's why. Somebody here today, maybe several people here today, you do not have a personal relationship with Christ. And you're going to leave here maybe in a little while, and you're going to walk out and go, you know what? I heard what the scripture said. I heard what Jesus says, but I'm not buying it. I'm not all in. That may be your response. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have faith in Christ, but you hear what Jesus says. You go, you know what? I'm all in. And today you're going to give your life to Christ. But then there's some of us here today. It's going to be a big moment because we're believers. And we're going to be convicted by what Jesus is going to say in a moment. And we're going to need to find ourselves, whether it's in our seat or at this altar, on our knees before a holy God, recommitting ourselves to areas where we are falling short greatly. So this isn't just a big moment. This was huge for them, and it's huge for us. And so in this moment, here's what Jesus does. He tells them, if you want to follow me, this is what is required of you. If you're going to come after me and be my disciple, this is what it means to do that. Now, I love what Jesus uses here. Can we put verse 24 back up there? Verse 24, 
I love the powerful word that Jesus told his disciples, if. If you have a Bible, circle that. Highlight that, underline. If you don't have a Bible, as you leave today on that table back there, we have Bibles for you. It's our gift to you. Please take one. But this word if is one of those words I love in Scripture because the word if is a word of condition, right? So like you tell your kids sometimes, if you mow the yard, I will then do this, right? So it's a conditional phrase. And so Jesus starts with the word if, and this word if implies a couple of things. First of all, it implies that if you're going to follow me, that you have to make an intentional decision to follow Jesus. Do you know this? None of us in the room today, none of us, are following Jesus by accident. Did you know that? I'll take it a step further. None of you here today showed up today by accident. You didn't like go to your car, type in the GPS, and kind of lay back and take a nap and just get here. I mean, that didn't happen. At some point this morning, there was an intentionality. You go, I think I ought to get out of bed. I think, hopefully, I need to go take a shower. I think I need to brush my teeth. That might be important. I'm going to get in the car. I hope I'm going to grab my Bible. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to go try to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mean, you are here today because you intentionally decided to do it. And so when Jesus says, if, he's saying, you have to make an intentional decision. It's not about just good intentions like, well, I kind of want to. It's about a decisive decision. So if implies that. If also implies some will follow Jesus, and some won't follow Jesus. See, if means it's your choice. And we know from Scripture, there are plenty of people that came up to Jesus and go, hey, I want to follow you wherever you go. And we've talked about this before. One guy came up and Jesus says, awesome, you know, obviously money's an issue. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away. We never hear from him again. So his if was a no. And then on the heels of that, another guy comes up and said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dead father, which was an expression of the day that means my dad's almost to death. Let him die. I'll collect my inheritance. Then I'll come follow you. And Jesus goes, no, let the dead bury the dead. That following me is about a right now moment, and you have to decide. And then the third guy comes up and says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go tell my family goodbye. And Jesus says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit to be my disciple. Meaning when you follow him, you've got to be all in. There's no backtracking. See, we have three stories in a row in scripture where people said they wanted to follow him. They had these good intentions. But when Jesus required something of them, guess what they did? They bailed. So there's going to be some people. When we get to what Jesus is about to say, you're going to think about bailing. But there's also some people who are going to hear what Jesus says and go, I'm in. I want that. And so Jesus says, if you want to come after me, three things required of you. Here we go. Verse 24. Here's the first one. If any man wants to come after me, he must first deny himself. If we're going to follow Jesus, here's where it begins. We must deny self, ourselves. That word deny in the Greek language means to disown and to separate from. That's what it means to disown and separate from. Probably the best example I could give you is remember when Peter denied Jesus? When Jesus was arrested, you remember the story, right? Peter cut off the ear of the guard and Jesus kind of grabbed the ear and go, whoop, there it goes. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great story to be at? I mean, wouldn't that have been awesome? And so they take Jesus, they arrest him, they take him in and Peter follows him. He's in the courtyard. Three different people come up to him at three different times and say, Jesus, aren't you a friend of Jesus? Don't you know him? Aren't you a disciple? And all three occasions, what does Peter do? He denies it, he denies it, he denies it. He said, I don't know him. 
I don't hang out with him. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, why did Peter deny Jesus? Because he was disowning and trying to separate himself from Jesus. Because if that's what was in store for him, at that point, Peter's like, I don't have anything to do with that. Now, listen to me. That's the same kind of denial we need to treat ourselves with. Here's what I mean. We need to disown the desires of our old nature, which are driven by self-centeredness and self-indulgence. See, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to deny self. But what does that mean? Doug, give me some handles. Here, here, here's the handles. We need to disown the desires of our old nature. Those desires are driven by self-centeredness. You know what that means, right? That the world revolves around you. How many of you, when you were a teenager, thought the world revolved around you? And there's some liars in the room too, right? I think it's kind of a prerequisite, right? And that 13 to 18, that's kind of the prerequisite for us, right? We all think that. And so this, here's the truth, and probably we're honest, how many of us still think that? Maybe most hands will still go up. Because you know why? Because we live in a world that says, hey, you be the best you you can be, and you take care of you, and you pamper you, and life's about you. And listen, I'm telling you, the truth of the gospel is, uh, this life's not about me. My life is about him. And we have to disown the desires of the old nature that says, it's all about self-centers. And we have to disown that desire that says life's all about self-indulgence. Listen, self-indulgence is that sense of going, I want it, and I'm going to get it. I don't care what people think. I don't care who it hurts. I'm not going to take responsibility. I want it. Listen, and I've said this before. The trinity of the world today is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is me, myself, and I. And I'm telling you, if we're going to deny ourselves, it begins by disowning the desires of the old nature. Then secondly, we have to separate ourselves. We have to separate ourselves, not just from the desires of the old nature, but from the philosophies of the old nature. Do you know there's two primary philosophies I think we battle, even as Christians? One of them is this sense of independence. This sense of, I don't need anybody else. Especially among men. Can we be honest, men? I mean, see, so my dad, here was my dad, all right? My dad later in life got serious about his faith in Christ, and he was a man, he is my hero in the faith. I mean, he would study his Bible for hours, and I would say, Dad, why are you studying for hours? He's like, son, I'm making up for lost time. I mean, it was, his life changed. But before that, here was my dad. I'd come home, something happened, and I might get a little, you know, sniffly or crying. And he would look at me and he'd say, boy, you know, you, your dad ever do that? Boy, you quit crying or I'm going to give you a reason to cry. Right? See, that was my dad. And so if at any level I felt like I needed somebody or to be dependent upon somebody, that would have been viewed as weak. Right? And we live in that world that says, you don't need anybody else. You've got a brain. You've got a good head on your shoulders. You can solve any issue you want. But listen, the central truth of the gospel is, is that we are in desperate need of him. That we are wretched. We are pathetic. We are pitiful. And we are lost. And we desperately need to depend on Christ. Amen? Desperately. And we've got to separate ourselves from that worldly philosophy. Another worldly philosophy is this. Not just this whole notion of independence, but this notion of I must do so that I can be. In other words, I must do all the right stuff so that I can be acceptable to God. It's a work salvation mentality. 
And I know everybody in the room today, we could talk about this and you go, you know what, you know what, Doug, I, I, I believe we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone so that no man can boast. I mean, I get that. But there's still part of us, I think sometimes it wrestles thinking that somehow if I do more for God and I behave better for God, that he will somehow love me more. Hey, listen, his son died on the cross. How much more do we want? He loves you as much now as he's ever going to love you. It's a matter whether we receive it or not. Right? And we've got to disown that mindset. We've got to separate from that mindset. And if you think about it, isn't that what you did when you came to faith in Christ? Didn't you disown that selfish desires? Didn't you separate yourself from your sin and you turned to faith in Christ and gave your life to him, declaring your utter dependence on him? Didn't you do that at salvation? Sure you did. And if that's what's required at salvation, isn't that also required if we're going to follow him every day? Are you with me today, church? I'm telling you, this is big. See, if we're going to follow him, here's where it begins. Denying self. We have to disown the desires of the old nature that are selfish, not self-indulgence. And we have to separate ourselves from the old mentality that says, I don't need anybody or that somehow I've got to work and perform to get God's favor. No. We need to deny self. Deny those things. Trust him. Second thing, he says this. He says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The second one is, we must take up our cross. Now, I'm going to tell you, I said this at the Oviedo campus in the first service, and you could just hear the amens like ripple. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, I said it because I know it's true, but I didn't realize how true it was until I said it, and it was this. I've grown up in church, and I've seen many, many, heard many, many messages on this passage and I've heard many, many pastors make that phrase, take up our cross, so complicated. And the place erupted with amen. I'm like, wow, you get it too, right? And I'll take it a step further. Not only do pastors, we make it complicated, but I know there's even people that misinterpret this verse. In fact, several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I was in a small group of men that was meeting in my house. And we kind of, what we did was we prayed, we studied scripture, we shared, and we prayed some more together. And so we were almost done. And we were saying, hey, how can we pray for each other? And this one person began to share about a family member they were having issues with and just pray for me on that. And this other person, and I'm not, I, I didn't say this, they said this. So just hang with me, you ready? This other guy said, well, I just need you to pray for my marriage because my wife is nagging me to death. That husband, don't smile, don't crack a smile, just keep looking straight forward. Don't acknowledge I said it. I'm just telling you what the guy said, all right? She's nagging me to death. And then a guy named Steve in my group says, you know what? You got this family member with problems and you got this nagging wife. You know what the Bible says? We're to take up our cross, guys. That's just your cross to bear. I'm going, what? <laughs> a nagging wife is a cross to bear? A rebellious family? No, no, no. I said, you missed it, Steve. That's not what Jesus meant. See, the cross is a picture of death. The cross is a picture of the price that Jesus paid for us. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, here's what he's saying. I want you to take up a willingness to pay any price for my namesake. And are we willing to do that? Are we really willing to pay a price because we know Christ. Are we willing to pay any price? So if you're in your workplace and your boss has asked you to do something shady and you know you shouldn't do it and you know if you confront him on it, you're going to lose your job. Is it worth losing your job to do the right thing? 
You better believe it is. There has to be, if we're going to take up our cross, it means we have to have a willingness to make any sacrifice necessary to obey our Savior. Now get the key word there, any sacrifice necessary. You think it was a sacrifice for Abram, Abraham? When God said, hey, Abraham, I got a place for you. What is it, Lord? You'll know when you get there. Just grab your stuff, head that way. I'll let you know when you show up. How many of you want to do summer vacation like that? Right? I mean, the thing about it is, Abraham paid a price to obey. And I was telling us, there needs to be something in us that is willing to make any sacrifice necessary to obey our Heavenly Father. But there also has to be a readiness. To take up our cross isn't just about our willingness. It's also about a readiness to endure shame, to endure persecution, and to endure rejection because of him. And I don't know about you, but here I can tell you the story of my life. Too many times in my life, I've tried to skirt rejection. I've tried to skirt shame. I've tried to skirt persecution. Because at the end of the day, none of us like those kinds of conflicts in our life. But I'm just going to tell you something. Can I say something because I love us all? If Jesus was hated by the world, guess what? The world is going to hate us. His story is going to be our story if we really are following him. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need people that are going to start standing up on the truth of God's word going, I will not compromise. This book is truth. I will live by it. And I am willing to pay any price to follow and obey my Savior. And I'm willing and I'm ready to endure any criticism, any shame, any persecution, any rejection, just to make Jesus known. I'm willing to take that stand. And that's what the church needs today. Some of us to take. That stands. See, I believe this point is a point of great separation today. See, I believe this point alone separates the pretenders from the true followers. Now, hear me. Pretenders want a faith that costs nothing. They want to be a fan of Jesus and a fan of the world. It kind of lives somewhere in the middle. Do you know why you don't straddle a fence? Not a trick question. Because it hurts, Right? And we try to straddle faith, and we try to straddle the world, we are never going to gain any ground with our relationship with God. Never. And I'm just telling you, as we think about this, we need to make sure that we're willing to deny self. Because the true follower doesn't care about being just a fan of Jesus. They want to be a legit follower where they're willing to do anything for his name's sake. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to live for Jesus and obey him, there's going to be a price but here's the question I want all of us to answer today. Are we willing and are we ready to pay that price? Lord, I want, the, I, I, want, I want to experience the joy of heaven without the pain of the world. Not going to happen. Kind of like saying, hey, I want the beautiful rose bush without the thorns. It's not going to happen. But if we're going to take up our cross, it means us being willing and ready to pay any price that he asks of us. And are you ready for that? Are you willing to do that? That's what separates the pretenders from the true followers. And then he says one more thing. It's this. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross. And he must follow 
me. Now listen, I love the order of this because let's just leave that there for a minute if we could. The order is beautiful because here's the thing. You, we can't follow Jesus if we don't first deny self. If life's about me, I'm never going to follow Jesus. If life's about me, I, I'm going to be so self-centered and self-absorbed and I'm going to be focused on only needing myself. I'm never going to depend on him. So it begins with denying self. And once I've denied myself, then I'm ready. And only then am I ready to take up my cross and go, Lord, now that I've denied myself, now that I know that my life's about you, I am willing to take whatever comes my way for your name and for your sake. I'm willing to stand the face of persecution. I'm willing to stand the face of rejection just to let people know about your love and your grace. I'm willing. And then, and only then, after we've denied self and we've taken up our cross, are we fit and ready to follow him. That makes sense? See, following Jesus is about a total obedience to him. It's about a total obedience to him. And that means every day denying, every day taking up a cross, and every day pursuing him, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day. So if we're going to follow Jesus, here's what we're going to do. Deny self, take up our cross, and follow him. Much harder done than what it seems like, isn't it? Now, if you're like me, and some of you know me, here's how I think. My thought was this after I read the passage. Okay, if I'm in the crowd that day, or I'm in the crowd out here today, my question would be this. Okay, what's at stake if I don't? What's at stake if I don't deny myself? What's at stake if I don't take my cross up? What's at stake if I don't follow? Well, I mean, why is this moment, Jesus, so crucial? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my name's sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, here's why it's so crucial. Because if you choose the world, you're forfeiting your soul. If you choose to live by the world's standards and to crave all the things the world have and to pawn me off and choose to live and try to gain every aspect the world has one day, you're going to lose your very soul. But if you decide to forsake the world and you decide to live for me and surrender your life to me, guess what you gain in return? Eternity. Because one day, one day, with all that you've gained in the world, you're going to stand before holy God and you could have had all the prophets of the world, but it matters not to you because you're going to lose your very soul. Quick question. Do we know anybody like that? Do we know people that are doing all they can to put as much as they can in the bank to, to create a, prof, uh, a, a portfolio and, and to save? And, and do we know people that are working so hard to climb the corporate ladder to have more, to do more, that they're so driven by having the things of the world that they've missed out that one day they're going to forfeit their very soul? Do you know people like that? Well, then you're the person that God's called to share the gospel with them. Because one day they're going to stand before him and give an account. Listen to what he says in verse 27. This is Jesus adding some intensity to the moment. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Meaning this, one day there's going to be a day of reckoning. One day Jesus is going to come, and everybody's going to stand before him, and they're going to give an account of how they responded to that moment. So here's my question for us today. How are you going to respond? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond by submitting, submitting your life to him, surrendering your life to him, turning and disowning self and turning to Christ? 
Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus today and you look at your life and you're, just, you're honest enough to say, you know what, I need to do some recommitting in my life because there's some areas I'm not denying like I need to be denying. I'm not taking up my cross like I should. And consequently, I'm not following Jesus as close as I should be following Jesus. How are you going to respond? Look, everybody look at me. How we respond today in this moment is going to define and shape the trajectory of our lives. So where's your life going to head today? In about 15 minutes, you're going to leave this place. And where's your life headed? Are you going to lose your soul one day because you decide you want to crave the world more than Christ? Or one day is he going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you decided to forsake the world and give your life to Christ. Where are you going? Where are you headed? Here's what I'm asking you. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just stand with me if you would. And I just want to take a moment to challenge you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody look around, please. Just nobody looking. I want to challenge you today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, would you just take a moment and acknowledge that eternity is real? And that if you don't know him, you're not going to spend eternity with him? And if you don't know him today, maybe you need to take a moment and confess your sins. Confess that you, that you rebelled against him, but today you want to give your life to him, that you turn and you surrender your life to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. And if you will do that, the Bible says that whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And just a moment, if you made that decision, I'm going to ask you to let somebody know. I'm going to ask Don and Terry to come up to the front on this side and, and Randy and come up here on the front of this side. And maybe you need to make that decision public. Just let them know. Or take that welcome card you have and, and put it on the back. Today I gave my life to Christ. But one day you're going to stand and give an account for how you respond in this moment. If you don't know him, today's the day you can come to know him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, and you're like me, we all struggle. And maybe today as the Lord leads you, maybe today you need to find yourself at this altar alone with the holy God and just say, Lord, I spent too much of my life not denying myself, but, but being selfish. Lord, I spent too much of my life not taking up my cross and and, and trying to live for you, but living for myself. And Lord, I've spent too much of my life not truly following you. But today, I want to recommit myself. Today, I want to recommit to denial, to taking up our cross, and to truly following you. If that's your heart as your believer, this altar's open. I'm going to pray for us. And as the Lord leads you, I challenge you to respond. God, I love you. I thank you for this passage. This passage wrecks my heart. It wrecks me because I know there's some areas in my life that I'm not very good at denying. I know some areas in my life where, where I let fear keep me from taking up my cross. And consequently, Lord, there's some times in my life I'm not following you like I should. And God, I know if that's true of me, that's got to be true of others here. Others that know you and love you just like me. And God, I pray today for all of us that we might find ourselves in a position where we are given an account, in a position where we are recommitting ourselves today, saying, Lord, I'm going to deny myself. Lord, I'm going to take up that cross. Lord, I'm going to do all I can to follow you with everything within me. Because I'm tired of where I'm at. I'm tired of being wishy-washy. I'm tired of trying to ride the fence. Today, Lord, I'm recommitting because I am all in. God, would you move in the hearts of believers like that? And for those who don't know you, would you move in their hearts? And may they respond to you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now.
If you need to talk, I'm going to ask Don Terry right over here and Randy right over there. If you need to talk, pray, share a decision, they would love to pray with you. But if you just need to come pray and get alone with God, maybe recommit some things in your life, this altar is open. My prayer is that as the Lord leads us, we would be faithful to respond. Patrick, you lead us, buddy.